you do have your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to continue in John, 13th chapter. We're going to go through verses 1 through 17. And we're going to see here, Jesus is at the end of his life. Matter of fact, 13 through 21, to the end of the book, is the Passion Week. And Jesus is at the end of his life, and rejected by the Jewish nation. But he still has those whom the Father has given him. And he demonstrates his continual love for them by washing their feet. Jesus, washing their feet, also served as a teaching tool for them to love and serve one another. And 20 centuries later, this ancient Greek text is still teaching us to love and serve each other. Not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. But the greater reality of this text is not just a moral teaching on servanthood and humility. Although... That is absolutely taught there. It's one of the main points, is the main point. But the greater reality is Christ coming to earth from the glories of heaven, humbling himself and dying so we can truly be cleansed and then truly love and serve each other. Let's read our text. John 13, verses 1 through 17. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas' chariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments, and taking the towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your teacher, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Mighty God, help us to see today that you are still washing our feet and still teaching us to wash each other's feet. In Jesus' name, 
we pray. Gary Inrig, from his book, A Call to Excellence, writes this. A large group of European pastors came to one of D.L. Moody's Northfield Bible Conference in Massachusetts in the late 1800s. Following the European custom of the time, each guest put his shoes outside his room to be cleansed by the hall servants overnight. But of course this was America, and there was no hall servants. Walking, to the dormitory halls, walking through the dormitory halls that night, Moody saw, saw the shoes and determined not to embarrass his brothers. He mentioned the need to some ministerial students who were there, but met with only silence and pious excuses. Moody returned to the dorm, gathered up the shoes, and alone in his room, the world's only famous evangelist began to clean and polish the shoes. Only the unexpected <coughs> excuse me, arrival of a friend in the midst of the work revealed the secret. <coughs> when the foreign visitors opened the doors, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> allergies. When the foreign visitors opened their doors the next morning, their shoes were shined. They never knew by whom. Moody told no one, but his friend told a few people, and during the rest of the conference, different men volunteered to shine the shoes in secret. Perhaps the episode is a vital insight into why God used D.L. Moody as he did. He was a man with a servant's heart. That was the basis of his true greatness. I'm sure there are other stories out there that reveal a servant's heart, stories that warm our hearts like this one of D.L. Moody's. But our text tonight reveals a historical story that should do more than just warm our hearts. You know, we can hear stories and they make us feel good, they give us goosebumps sometimes, they warm our hearts. But this text should do more than that. It should change our lives forever like it did D.L. Moody. The stories in the Bible are to help us change forever into the likeness of Christ by God's grace and power. Our text today says to you, and it says to me, let us humbly love each other the way Jesus does. And we're going to see in the next three points, not only how Jesus loves and serves us, but how you and I should love and serve each other. And the three points are, the first one is supreme love, that Christ's love for us is supreme. The second one is demonstrated love. Christ's love for us always is always demonstrated, not just words. Words are cheap. Actions speak louder than words. And the third point is taught love. Christ's love for us is also teaching us to love. Let's look at the first one. Supreme love. Christ's love for you and me is supreme. Verse 1 again. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now some of you may remember the song written by the Beatles, All You Need Is Love. Another song by Dion Jackson, Love Makes the World Go Round. And that all sounds good. There's some good love songs out there. The problem is, the kind of love most are singing about today is not biblical love. It's usually an emotional, self-centered, selfish, and especially today, lustful type of love. 
Biblical love is far removed from the love that the world cries out for. While sometimes the world can have selfless love, like a parent for the child, however, for the most part, it is not the unconditional, total, selfless, sacrificial love the Bible commands us to have. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, gives us a description of that love. Love is patient and kind. Are we, are we always patient and kind? No. Does not always. It, love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I, I failed so far. I don't know about you. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Christ's love never ends. Your love, my love ends. And by the way, Jesus was the only one who fulfilled this description. One commentator said, while... 1 Corinthians 13 is the supreme description of love. The Lord Jesus is the supreme example of love. And as we go from chapter 12 to chapter 13, there's a transition that's happening here. Chapters 1 through 12, which we looked at over the last, I guess, four years now, was on Jesus' public ministry to Israel, who basically rejected him. And now as we get into chapters 13 through 17, where his public ministry has now ended, and he begins his private ministry to his disciples, who did receive him. His disciples are being privately ministered to by Jesus that very night before his death. And now Jesus is going to demonstrate his love, and then exhort his own to do the same. And John tells us it was... Before the feast of the Passover. And there's much debate. Over this. uh, Of trying to reconcile John's gospel. With the uh, synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark and Luke. um, Which say. This was the last supper. And and it was a Passover meal. John's gospel seems to say. It was the evening meal before the Passover celebration. How do we reconcile this? The quick answer is. The Jewish. The Jews had two different calendars, two different methods of reckoning days, without, which, uh, without getting into the whole way it works, would eliminate any contradiction between John's version and the Synoptic Gospels. Jews from the northern part of Israel, including most of the Pharisees, counted days from sunrise to sunrise, while Jews from the, uh, the southern part of Israel, including the Sadducees, counted days from sunset to sunset. One respectable commentator thinks it was an evening meal before the actual Passover meal. However, because of the two different calendars and what the other Gospels say, I would tend to think that this was absolutely the Passover meal. And the thing we are sure about is this, that Jesus and his disciples were gathered around a table finishing a meal. But I'm going to be treating this text as the last Passover meal, because that's what I truly believe it was. And Jesus knew his hour had come. Jesus knew it was time to be betrayed, beaten, and crucified and killed. He knew in just a few short hours, his reason for coming to earth was going to be fulfilled. 
He knew that this was the last Passover celebration that he would have with his disciples that would be a transition from the old covenant Passover to the new covenant Lord's Supper. He knew that his time on earth was finished and he was going back to the Father. He knew that. But he deeply loved his own with a supreme and perfect love. It was the agape love, which is the highest form of love there is, and only possessed by God, and that he was now going to demonstrate to his own disciples, including, including an enemy, Judas, who rejected his love. <clears throat> See, Judas manifested a rejection of supreme love by betraying Jesus. And by the way, I don't know if there's any more powerful demonstration of loving one's enemies as Jesus did. Here he is, Jesus, God in human flesh, knowing he's going to be betrayed, and stoops down and washes an enemy's feet. See, Jesus puts into practice what he preaches. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus put that into practice. He doesn't just say it, but he does it to the fullest. And I think it's interesting that although Jesus loves to the full extent, Judas, on the other hand, hates to the full extent. He betrays God. However, Jesus' love for his own was supreme. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? Yes, the world is the object of God's love. But here, Jesus directs his love specifically to his own. Make no mistake about this. God loves the world. He loves the unsaved. But he has a special deep love for his church. He died for his church. He died for his church. The story I read, and I want to pass it on to you. A devoted father sacrificed his life to save his disabled son when a car careered towards them as they walked together. George Tyson, 61, pushed Gary out of the path of of the oncoming car, but took the full impact himself. He was killed almost instantly. His 32-year-old son was airlifted to a hospital and later discharged after being treated for minor injuries and shock. Last night, Mr. Tyson's distraught family praised him for making the ultimate heroic sacrifice, which saved the life of his son. Melanie Tyson, his daughter, said, My dad's life was cruelly taken away from him, although through various witnesses, witness statements, the story is blessed with, this, with his selfless act of saving the life of my brother. We as a family are still in shock, but realize that my dad's quick action saved it from being an even bigger tragedy. And this at best is less than a good comparison to how much Christ loves his own. I don't think any illustration could accurately picture Christ's supreme love for us. And we must remember, Jesus came from the glories of heaven to serve us and then die. The washing of his disciples' feet was done in the shadow of what was going to take place in just a few short hours. The cross, which was the ultimate act of love. Christ's love for his church, for you and me, if you stand here, claim to be a born-again Christian, his love for you is more than just a superficial love. It's a supreme love. It's a perfect love. 
<coughs> Second point. Demonstrated love. Christ's love for us is always demonstrated, not just words. Verses 13 through 11 again. Jesus knowing that the Father has given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. <clears throat> Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. The old, coven the old covenant community rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. And now Jesus has 12 disciples as the new messianic community. And it is to this new community of believers that Jesus is now going to show them the extent of his love. His supreme love for them by lowering himself like a slave and wash their feet. Amen. Now the culture back then would have servants and slaves to do this menial task. William Barclay describes this custom. <clears throat> the roads of Palestine were unsurfaced and uncleaned. In dry weather, they were inches deep in dust. And in wet weather, they were liquid mud. The shoes ordinary people wore were sandals, which were simply soles held on by the foot, held to the foot by few straps. They gave little protection against the dust or the mud of the roads. For that reason, there was always great water pots at the door of a house, and a servant was there with an ewer and a towel to wash the soiled feet of the guests as they came in. Jesus' little company of friends had no servants. The duties which servants would carry out in wealthier circles, they must have shared amongst themselves. <clears throat> Not even the Jewish slaves will do this task to washing feet back then. They used Gentile slaves. The problem is, none of the disciples volunteered to do this task. Jesus, God Almighty, gets up, takes his garments off with a towel wrapped around him. In other words, the garb of a slave, that's what he had on. And he does what a lowly slave would do. Now, I want you to stop and ponder this just for a moment. This was God Almighty... Stooping down and washing dirty, smelly feet. And John says this. He says, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father. This is speaking of his exaltation, which is show us the depth of his humiliation. It's God washing dirty feet. What does that say to you and me? <clears throat> Paul describes the depth of Christ's humiliation in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> Who though he was in the form of God, now get this, that means he was God. Jesus Christ was God. 
Never gave up his divinity as some have said. Never just appeared to be God. He was God in human flesh. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I don't don't know about you. I can't comprehend that. I mean, the creator and the ruler of the universe, the king of kings, not just the king, he's the king of kings, he's the lord of lords, not just the lord, the lord of lords, is about to wash dirty, smelly feet of the ones he created. Incredible. This must have been a stinging rebuke to the twelve, for just that evening they had been debating who was the greatest. Right before dinner, they were debating who was the greatest. Luke 22, verses 24 to 27, it says, A dispute arose among them. And this is before the Passover supper. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, you know, Jesus is gentle. I mean, he really is. The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Who is the greater, the one who reclines at a table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at a table? But I am among you as the one who serves. They were discussing who would be the greatest. They should have been discussing who should be the humblest, the lowest. Many years ago, I I was waiting at church for something, this church I used to belong to, many, many, many years, maybe 30 years ago. The building was empty, and if I remember correctly, there was an elderly, unknown woman cleaning the pews, wiping them down. She was part of our congregation. She was serving the people of the congregation by giving them a clean pew to sit on. Probably no one knew it but me because there was no one else in the church but me. I happened to be there. She was a servant of people. When we serve God's people with menial tasks and do it without complaining, guess who you're serving? God Almighty. Jesus said, you did it for one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Washing of his disciples' feet was as low as it gets. And love sometimes is misunderstood, isn't it? Because now compulsive Peter, which has been all along characteristic of his personality, is appalled that his Lord would stoop to wash his feet. In verse 6, Peter says, Lord, do you wash my feet? And in verse 8, he says, you shall never wash my feet. Peter, like the others, were waiting for the inauguration of the kingdom. They, they were waiting, and, you know, and Jesus is the, this divine king. So how can the superior, he's thinking, wash the inferior? Let's not be hard on Peter because technically he's right. A king shouldn't be washing his servant's feet. No, a servant should wash the king's feet. However, what Peter didn't realize was this king was different. He came from heaven to serve not to be served. 
This is the only way you and I, this is the only way mankind could be redeemed by the King of Kings humbling himself by living a humble life and dying. I like what Pastor John Davis, who preached there last week, at the end of his emails, he writes, Jesus lived the life that we failed to live, died the death that we deserve to die, and rose again to restore the life we forfeited because of our sin. Peter misunderstood Christ's demonstrated love. And we can misunderstand love sometimes. We can misunderstand the way another brother or sister serves us. We can misunderstand the love of a parent as for a child. Taipei Times reported this story. In 1972, a two-year-old Chinese boy, Hugh Jen Chan, fell from a table and went into a coma. When he woke up after six days, he was not able to walk, talk, or move. Like any parent, his mother was terribly distressed. Yet the distress was multiplied by the fact that she could not afford to place him in a nursing home. Instead, she cared for Hugh Jenchan herself, and her care has shown the unfathomable depth of a mother's love. You see, because he is unable to move, Yoo Jen Chan is liable to get terrible bed sores. So for the past 30 years, his mother had done the unbelievable. She has carried her son on her back. As of May 2002, Lu Kyu Lan was 65 years old and weighed 40 kilograms, 80 pounds. Her son, now a grown man, weighed 82 kilograms, 180 pounds. On many occasions, Lou has fallen and fractured bones while carrying a son. Yet she continued to carry him. When asked, how can she do it? Her reply is simply, he ain't heavy, he's my son. A great story. But if, a son, if the son would have said no, I would not have my mother carry me. I should be carrying you. That would have been love misunderstood, right? Well, what about whenever we try to please or pay God back for the work he did for us? We are misunderstanding demonstrated love. We can't or shouldn't want to pay him back. It's a gift of God, as Ephesians 2.8 says. Anything we do for God, is we do it for the gratitude of our hearts, for what he has done for us. And even though Peter protested Jesus washing his feet. Jesus is very gentle with him. He tells him, what I am doing now, you do not understand. But afterwards, you will understand. But Peter insistently says, never, Lord. (coughs) You know, Peter, if you're familiar with the Gospels at all, Peter seemed to blurt out things right before he thought about it. How many of you are like that? Come on, we, we can do that at times, right? We blurt out things before we think about it. The same thing happened on another occasion when Jesus spoke to his, uh, of his impending death. And, and in Matthew 16, 22, impetuous Peter pulls Jesus aside to correct him and says, Hey, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. No, Lord. You know, I'm Peter, the rock. Remember, this shall never happen to you. Listen, there's one thing you and I need to admit from our vocabulary. No Lord or never Lord. Those two words do not 
mix. That's like saying no and yes at the same time. Lord means yes. Yes, I believe what you say. And yes, I will do what you ask. And I think we can all identify with Peter in the times we say, no Lord, never Lord. That's like saying no, yes. Doesn't make sense. And Jesus tells them, he tells Peter, listen Peter, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Unless I do this, you don't belong to me. There is no relationship with me. You see, Peter and the rest of the disciples, thinking at this point, was no better than the world. But because they belonged to Jesus, they were going to understand and they're going to learn. As a matter of fact, if you read Peter's sermon in Acts and his two epistles, you see he really listened and he really learned and he really understood. And this goes for us as well today. Unless he washes us, we have no part with him. Donald Carson says, that is always true. Unless the Lamb of God has taken away a person's sin, has washed that person, he or she can have no part with him. You see, Peter and the rest were thinking wrong. They misunderstood his first coming. They expected a conquering king. But Jesus came as a humble servant, one who would die on their behalf so they can truly be clean. And we need to be, accept two things to have part with Jesus. The obvious is his cleansing, atoning work on the cross for our sins. But also to recognize his humility that makes the cross possible. And I think in our initial repentance when we first come to Christ, um, we repent of sin, yes. But we repent of our view of Christ. John 16, verses 8 and 9 says, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, what? Because they do not believe in me. Believing in Jesus includes a proper view of him. Yes, once again, we repent of sins in our lives. But we also repent of our understanding of Christ. The sin of not believing in the person and work of Christ. To believe in Jesus means we accept his humility as well as his divinity. His humility is found in the incarnation when Jesus was born into this world, became a man, lived a human life so he can be crucified and atoned for our sins so we could be cleansed. Back in our text, we see Peter reacts again. But this time, the opposite end of the spectrum. Okay, Lord, if what you're saying is true and I need to be cleansed, then get all of me. Once again... The washing of feet foreshadowed the cross. Peter, nor the rest of his disciples at this point, did not understand this. But when Jesus told Peter, you have no part with me unless I wash your feet, he said, let's go above and beyond Jesus. Get all of me while you're at it. That was Peter. And Peter may have been thinking physically, but Jesus used the physical to bring out the spiritual point. Peter, you're already clean because of the word I spoke to you. You embrace the gospel through my teaching. You're already clean. Amen. Paul told the Colossians in the second chapter, the 13th to 14th verse. He says, And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
That's the good news, Peter. It's done. That's the good news for you and me. It's done. But you'll still need daily cleansing for sanctification from the defilement of walking in a sinful world giving or giving into the flesh. Is, is, is Peter the only one who misunderstands Jesus? No. How often can we misunderstand Christ and his word? If I took a shower and I'm clean, I may walk around the house barefooted. By the end of the day, my body is still clean, right? But my feet are dirty because I walked on floors that were not clean. Floors that even though you wash them, they still pick up the dust and the dirt throughout the day and the transfer to your feet. At the end of the day, what do you need to do? You need to wash your feet before you get into bed. When I came to Christ in 1977, 1978 time period, I went to church that believed you can lose your salvation. And as a result, every week when an altar call was given, you know John Verdi was up there. You know, I, I was there. When really all I needed was my feet to be cleansed. You see, I misunderstood God saving me once for all. And it was because of some bad teaching. It was a good church, but some bad doctrine. When we come to faith in Christ, you and I are clean. But we live in a sinful world and walk in this sinful world and we get our feet dirty. We sin at times. We know that. That doesn't mean we lose our salvation and need to get saved again. That's ludicrous. That's why it's called eternal life. We're saved forever. (coughs) We need the daily cleansing from our sins every day, not daily salvation. That was the once and all time when he saved us. We're saved, done. But we need to confess our sins daily, or as needed, we need to be cleansed. 1 John tells us that. 1-7. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sin. The Greek word for cleanses is in a present tense. And it carries the idea of continual cleansing. You see, Jesus' blood, when you come to faith in Christ, his blood continually forgives and cleanses. He continually washes your feet and my feet. Not so the unbeliever. They are dirty from head to toe. And unless Christ gives them a bath, they will have on dirty garments that are defiled and be barred from eternal life forever. People try to cleanse themselves by good works, their own righteousness. But when they come out of the bathtub of self-righteousness, guess what? They're still dirty. They're still filthy. The dirt and stain can only be cleansed by the blood of the new covenant. Paul told the Corinthian church, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But get this. You were what? Washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Verses 9 and 10 is all of us before conversion. But Christ put us into the bathtub of His blood and put on fresh garments of His righteousness. Back to our text. Jesus tells them that they are completely clean except one. Judas was filthy with sin And this is, uh, 
I want you to get this. He refused to be bathed from the Messiah. He refused to be cleansed from the Messiah. And we should notice that Jesus doesn't name him. He just says, one of you. And John Calvin gives this explanation why he doesn't name him. He purposely abstains from naming him that he may not shut against him the gate of repentance. The Lord is extremely merciful and gracious always. Even to the unbeliever. What does that say to you and me? Jesus Christ was so gracious to Judas, his enemy, the one who was going to betray him. Betray him. And yet, God is so patient with him. Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and in truth. But his patience does run out for the unrepentant sinner, doesn't it? And sadly, Judas, fully responsible, went ahead with his plan to betray Christ. Christ's death was predetermined by God. Make no mistake about that. Even Judas' betrayal. But it did not excuse Judas' personal responsibility. The end result was an eternal hell separated from God forever for Judas. Christ's love is supreme. Christ's love for us is always demonstrated, not just words. And the third and final point I'd like to bring to your attention is taught love. Christ's love for us is also teaching us to love. Remember I said, these are not just good stories. But to learn and to grow in this. Verses 12 through 17 again. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. Then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also should ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now we come to the main truth the Lord wants to communicate to them by washing their feet. It certainly wasn't so the church can add another ordinance alongside of the Lord's Supper and Baptism. The two church ordinances, the one we did yesterday was baptism. <clears throat> The next one is the Lord's Supper, which we will have after the service today, after the message. To add another one would miss the point of the object lesson. Now, some churches do that, and we don't condemn them for doing that. <clears throat> but the main point was he was teaching them humble service towards one another. To love each other unconditionally, demonstrated in tangible ways. And Jesus asks them, do you understand what I have done to, that, to you? And and whether they did or not, he's going to explain to them what he just demonstrated. He says, you call me teacher and Lord. And you're right, that's what I am. And because you believe that, then do what I do. If we say, Jesus is Lord, then guess what? We follow his teaching. You can't say, Jesus is Lord, and not follow his teaching. 
That's like saying no, yes. Teacher, Lord is the same. If he's Lord, we follow his teaching. It's not an option. To follow Christ's teaching, we need both the power of God working in us and discipline. Yes, yes. I'm not suggesting meritorious work for our salvation, but rather following Christ's example, serving because we're saved. We follow his teaching, we follow him as Lord and Savior, we do to others as, as Christ wants us to do to others, because we're saved, not to get saved. We're new creations in Christ. This is expected of us now. This is now the norm for the Christian life. And Jesus drives the point home using contrast. He says, truly, truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. In other words, if Jesus Christ washed their feet, if the Lord of heaven and earth washed their feet, if God incarnate, who left the glories of heaven to serve mankind, how much more should they? If the master, if the one who sent them to go out and proclaim the gospel, has humbled himself and served mankind, how much more should they and how much more should you and I? Are we greater than Jesus? Dr. John MacArthur says no servant dares to regard any task beneath him if his master has performed it Jesus said in Matthew 10 24 a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master he also says in Luke 6 40 a disciple is not above his teacher but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher isn't that our goal Is that not our goal, to be like Jesus? You don't want to be like me. I don't want to be like you. We want to be like Jesus. If you and I are followers of Jesus, we will be like our divine teacher. When we truly understand what Christ did for us in his life, death, and resurrections, our eyes will now gaze upon him with adoration and love, and we will be willing to do what he asks us to do. Let me read you the short story. Short Short story. It is said that Cyrus, the founder of the Persian Empire, once had captured a prince and his family. When they came before him, the monarch asked the prisoner, What will you give me if I release you? The half of my wealth was his reply. And if I release your children, everything I possess. And if I release, release, release your wife, your majesty, I will give myself. Cyrus was so moved by his devotion that he freed them all. As they returned home, the prince said to his wife, Wasn't Cyrus a handsome man? With a look of deep love for her husband, she said to him, I didn't notice. I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give himself for me. When you and I realize Jesus was the one who was willing to give himself for us, we will only keep our eyes on Him. And because He asks us to wash each other's feet, it's going to be a joy for us to do that. It's not going to be hard to do that. Listen, I want to imitate someone I admire. And I'm going to tell you right now, as sure as I'm standing here, I admire Jesus Christ. But I pray that my willingness to do what Jesus did will encourage other believers to do the same. Dr. Kent News says... When we symbolically wash one another's feet, it will have a cleansing effect 
upon other believers. Jesus is saying that the church has received the essential cleansing by him in the forgiveness of sins. But we can help take away the day-by-day dirt of the world by humbling, by humbly serving one another. We will thus encourage one another to godliness. It's a great word by Kent Hughes. And the world will look upon you and me and know that we are true disciples of Christ because of the love we have for each other. Francis Schaeffer I don't know how many of you heard of him. He was an American evangelical Christian theologian. He was a philosopher and a Presbyterian pastor. And he said this, love is the ultimate mark of a Christian. And Dr. Kent Hughes again titled this commentary, and I love this, on this section that we're studying tonight. He said, on being people of the towel. Symbolically, that's what we should be, willing and ready with joy to serve one another, having that towel ready to wipe the feet we just washed. And Jesus gave his disciples us a condition. We are blessed if we do them. Not if we think about them, if we learn about it, but if we practice it. The implication is, If we don't do these things, we should not expect to be blessed. And Kent News again, and I wholeheartedly agree with him, he says this, and listen to this. This is dirty work. We cannot make people clean by scolding them, or lecturing them, or patronizing them. We must get our hands dirty if we are going to be involved in a ministry of cleansing. You and I cannot possibly fulfill this without the love of God overflowing from our hearts. Romans 5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You and I have it. Let's use it. Now maybe some of you are thinking, okay, but how does this translate into how I symbolically wash a brother or sister's feet? That's a good question. That is. Washing one another's feet, and I'm just going to give you a few examples. Number one is forgiveness. Number two is cleansing. Number three is refreshing, refreshment, refreshing someone. And number four is humble service. So how do you and I wash each other's feet? Well, Ephesians 4.2, well, first you forgive when you're offended. I know so many Christians, they call themselves Christians, but they have such trouble forgiving. John MacArthur said this, you're never more like God when you forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Wash as Christ washed you. Forgive as Christ forgave you. Number two, cleanse them. Jesus cleansed the church. Ephesians 5.26 says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having what? Cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. And if a brother or sister has sinned, the best way to restore them is with the word of God. Speak to them the word. Or maybe it's just that they are walking in this defiled world and need encouragement from the word. Speak the word to them. And thus you're cleansing their feet. Number three is refresh them. Refresh them. Paul told 
Philemon in the seventh verse. He says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. See, Paul remembered Philemon's loving kindness and, his, and, and, and what he did for the saints. And that was refreshing to them. We should open ourselves and our homes and have Christian fellowship which will refresh the saints' hearts. Whatever way you can refresh another brother or sister's heart, do it. And fourth, humbly serve them. That's the way we wash one another's feet. Pastor Stephen Cole writes, Years ago a man went to hear Dr. Alan Redpath speak. Dr. Redpath was a pastor of a large moody church in Chicago and was widely was a widely known Christian speaker and author. But the man didn't know what Dr. Redpath looked like. He got there early and saw two men setting up chairs before the meeting. One was the janitor, but the man didn't realize until Dr. Redpath got up to speak that the other man was Dr. Redpath. He was there early helping the janitor set up chairs. He wasn't advertising it. If this guy had not gotten there before the meeting, he wouldn't have known what Dr. Redpath had done. But that kind of humble service is what Jesus is talking about. Hey, listen. Can you pick up some litter from the church? Is that beneath us? Can we help the elderly clean their home? I could go on and on with many, many examples. But I think you get the point. It's a dirty job. But Jesus says this to us. Roll up your sleeves and get dirty. We will be honored and blessed by God when we braggingly do these things, right? No, when we humbly do these things. I got a word for the husbands. Wash your wife's feet. I got a word for the wives. Wash your husband's feet. Parents, wash your children's feet. Children, wash your parents' feet. Yes, even wash your enemy's feet. Amen. Church, let's watch, wash each other's feet. Let me conclude with the words of this hymn by Brian Wren. Great God, in Christ you call our name, and then receive us as your own. Not through some merit, right, or claim, but by your gracious love alone. We strain to glimpse your mercy seat and find you kneeling at our feet. Then take the towel and break the bread and humble us. And call us friends. Suffer and serve till all are fed. And show how grandly love intends. To work till all creation sings. To fill all worlds. To crown all things. Amen. Let's pray. Father we thank you. And we ask you to help us as a church. And as individuals to be saints of the towel. Help us to put other interests above our own by serving one another with humility and deep love and thus washing one another's feet. But Lord, help us never to forget that you were the first to wash our feet. And when you do this, and when we do this, we remember what you told us in a parable. We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And we will sing that great hymn, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.